Hebrews. Uh, today we're going to be looking at Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. I'll read it starting at verse 26, and but we're going to focus on 29 here today. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he, uh, he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Let me pray and ask the Lord to help us as we look through these verses here together this morning. Our Father God in heaven, Lord, we thank you again for this Lord's Day. Uh, what a special day, Lord, uh, to be together, Lord, um, uh, for the first time, Lord, uh, this year. Uh, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for allowing us, Lord, to, um, uh, to, to, to make it another year, Lord, to be able to be encouraged another year of your goodness and your faithfulness towards your people. So, Lord, we ask you, Lord, to bless us this day. Give us your word. Give us truth. Give us what we need this morning. Not just what we want to hear, but give us what we need, Lord, that's going to be good for the Christian life. So, Lord, we ask you, Lord, to help us, Lord, at this time. Help me, Lord, as your servant. That I can preach your word faithfully, Lord, to my own heart, as I give it to also to your people. So, Lord, we ask you, Lord, to go before us at this time and help us. In Christ's name we pray. Paul finished verse 28 last week with the words, those called according to his purpose. Those are some very heavy words there, according to his purpose. Paul was sharing with us that the whole summary of the matter, the whole purpose of your life is this, is God's purpose. And we all have different professions in life. Some are construction workers. Some are um, uh, in law enforcement. Some are in, within um, education. We all have different things and avenue God has placed us in. But we all have one main purpose. And it's the same purpose that God has for himself and also for us. It's for us to know God and glorify him forever. Well, this calling according to his purpose, now that we transition into, it's going to kind of shift us back to why we exist as people. We exist to glorify God. So you remember God's purpose, the most important thing that matters the most in this world is God's purpose. Not our own purpose or our own desires. But it's God's. And I argued last week that once we find our total desire in God, that's when we able to find our purpose, you know, find the true happiness in this world that we ever can find. Prime example, I kind of mentioned to you about my wife. I love my wife. And I'm married. We are married, right? And the whole purpose of marriage is to see Christ in his church. The whole purpose of marriage is Christ and his church. For me to be able to give my life daily for my wife, as my wife be able to serve and, and submit in a way to honor the Lord, all these things point to God's glory. But look at the benefits of all that. We get to have kids. I get to have my best friend. I get to have someone that encourages me. I get to encourage her. All these things come. These are benefits that come from it, doing it God's way. By fulfilling and going about God's purpose, we even get to enjoy the things in life. Amen. So, so I'll argue here 
the best enjoyment of God in, in life is first finding out God's purpose. And as we find out God's purpose in this world, we get to have fun. Everything becomes amazing in the midst of that. And God knowing that his purpose cannot be fulfilled in us outside of himself. When Adam and Eve sinned, they sinned. Sin came into the, all his their prosperity. We all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. But that, that by nature, our own nature, now we are inclined to do the things our way instead of God's way. By nature. You know, I got a little Trinity. Y'all can see her right here. Hey, Trinity, we in worship. Sit down. Trinity's like, no, -uh, I ain't sitting down today. Trinity's like, uh -uh, you got to take me back here. You got to stand up with me the whole time. She wanted her way. And sometimes, as now at Trinity, and many other kids, they get older, turn about seven years old, they turn 10 years old, 12 years old, they want things their way. If it's not addressed, they turn into an adult, and they make things about themselves. Where does that come from? That comes from Adam and Eve wanting things about themselves. And now we all come from Adam and Eve, and now we all inherit this same nature. But we wasn't created this way. We were created in the garden when Adam and Eve was created. They were created to be with God and know God and glorify him forever in the garden. But when Adam and Eve sinned against God, now we start to see this rebellion happening. We were created to glorify God, but now we are seeking to glorify self. And we're seeing Verse 28, that God called a people according to the purpose. These people are the same ones that we talked about that are loving him. Loving him with this agape love we talked about last week. Their love for the Lord is not conditional. It is based upon unconditional that they love the Lord despite what they don't get from him. So the ones that are truly loving God are the true ones that are called according to his purpose. It's God's purpose, again. And God will do everything of his nature to fulfill his purpose in us. Even when our flesh try to fight against them, God will still turn us into vessels of his glory. So God reveals his sovereignty and put before us his purpose with him doing the work in us. He fulfills the purpose in us by foreknowing us, by predestining us, by calling us, justifying us, and glorifying us. This is all God doing to fulfill his purpose in us. We see these all these words used in a lot of theology, so like with Calvinism, a different theology be used for knowing us, predestining us, calling us, justifying us, and glorifying us. Talk about God's sovereignty. Majority of the time, I was talking to a brother last week, uh, not too long ago. The majority of the time, when we're talking about these type of doctrines, we're talking about them in a, in a way of trying to defend the faith. That God is sovereign. We always, a lot of time we use this mostly, is dealing with apologetics. How to defend the faith. But, but, but I encourage you today, the, the intent of this text within this historical context of what, what Paul has given to us in Romans 8, he's given us to us not in a way of the most important goal was this, is to defend the faith with this, but the most important goal is this right here, is to encourage the believer that are struggling in brokenness. So I, I want to be able to accomplish by encouraging you, this is what Paul is doing in our time today. But this text is used to defend the faith. But the important and the most important goal of this text is for us to know that we are truly loved by our God in the midst of our brokenness. So I would say probably after this message today, you, you're probably going to, when you hear debates about Calvinism, Arminianism, when you hear these debates, they're going to be good to listen to, cool to listen to. 
but you're gonna be able to see that it's even better to know that when I fall short, my old God didn't turn his back on me. When the midst of chaos around me, my God never turned his back on me and he would never cast me out. And he will fulfill his purpose in us. Who made you? What else did God make? Why did God make you in all things? It's all about God's glory. And God's going to encourage us that this morning that these great doctrines foreknowing, which God's foreknowledge, his predestination, his calling, justification, and glorification, they're all parts of God's glory and God's glory alone. So hopefully, the weeks ahead, as we walk through these verses 29 and 30, that we can be able to be humble to see that our God already went before us. Our God in eternity past has already had a plan for us to glorify him. And I pray that through these messages right here from Romans 29 and 30, that we turn not boasting in what we have done, we boasting in what he has done and what he has continued to do. the humility of that was God that did a work in us. When many have walked down the aisle and said they believe in Jesus, many have said they turned from their sin and put their faith in Jesus. I pray that you be encouraged to see it was the Lord doing. It was the Lord working in you before you even knew it. It was the Lord that was working in a special way before you responded. Why is Paul telling us right here about foreknowing and predestination and calling? He tells us right here to summarize all the reasons why for this and for us to trust him that he would not abandon us in the midst of hard times. You remember a lot of this question started back in chapter 6. The question came up in chapter 6 on should we continue in sin? And this is what Paul's response was. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He shouts out, by no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into death? We were buried therefore with him by the baptism into, into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Paul was clear that we aren't to continue in sin. That's what Paul said in chapter 6. But in chapter 7, Paul also talks about his struggle with sin. One minute we talked about in chapter 6, we should continue in sin, but in chapter 7 revealed how Paul is continuing in sin. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am to other flesh. Sold under sin. Who sold under sin is Paul. Paul in chapter 6 we shouldn't continue sin. Chapters four, um, seven. He tells us that he sold under sin. Then you go ahead and describe the battle of the sin that when you want to do right, right, he do wrong. When you want to do wrong, you do right. Like the battle and back and forth. He talks about this, but in chapter six, he says, "Should we continue in sin?" Chapter seven, Paul shares he sold under sin. Then he summarizes after, at the end of verse 7, he said in verse 24, he summarized and described himself as a believer. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who can save me? Who can deliver me from this body of death? So this, there's two things going on here. We shouldn't continue sin, but, 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 but I'm wretched. So in Paul in chapter 8 now, Paul comes in and answers the question like, what's going on here? What is happening here? What is happening here is we have the flesh, 
warring against the spirit. But regardless of the flesh warning against the spirit, you would not be condemned. You would not be separated. You would not be abandoned. That you will be cared for. So let's jump into our test today. We're going to do it in three points with time we have. God forgnew us despite our brokenness in 29a. God knew his love. I mean, God foreknew his love despite our brokenness in 29a. The reason why God foreknew his love despite our brokenness in 29a as well. If I can title this sermon, I would say God foreknew us. Jump point number one. God foreknew us despite our brokenness. For those whom he foreknew. The word for is a conjunction that also can be translated because. Paul now explains how God's purpose will be fulfilled in us. For those whom he foreknew. We'll get the definition of foreknew here shortly in the next couple points. But who did he, the God foreknow? That's what I want to answer first. Who are the people that God foreknew? He foreknew those, it tells us. Those points us back to 28, verse 28, but go down to verse 30. Remember verse 28? And we know that for those who, who love God, the, the end of 28, for those who are called according to his purpose, 29, for those whom he foreknew, we see that in 30, he used it three times, and those whom he predestined. Use it over and over again, the word those. Paul is playing the same game the struggling believer is playing. Paul could have just told us who those were. Are referring to. Well, those is actually a demonstrative pronoun. In the Greek, it is no demonstrative pronoun used for those here in this text. So we see this word, those, 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 those. It's not actually in the Greek. It is actually just an article. It's just a Greek article. It can pretty much be like the ones. Every time you see it in verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, it's just an article there for like, for thee whom he foreknew. But the translation goes in to actually kind of clean it up for us and try to let us know that for those but to be, say, in a literal sense, it would say, for the ones whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Again, Paul is kind of at a rhythm here. You know, somebody might have a, a song or, and they, they're singing a song and they start feeling it right and they start going on, you know, you know, you know they start, things start rhyming, even in a rap song, things start rhyming back and forth. Well, Paul, what he's doing here, though, is that he's kind of keeping the struggling believer at the edge here. And we know that for the one who loved God, all things work together for good. For the one who are called according to his purpose. For the one, for the one, for the one. He's letting them see that. Can you guess who that is? Come on, guess who it is. Guess who it is. Who the one is? It's you. So, so Paul doesn't say Leon Jackson or Greg King, Jake Franklin. He doesn't say those names, but Paul said the one. You figure out the one who it is. Paul is not telling them directly that, hey, you are the ones he foreknew. He is encouraging them to come to the conclusion themselves. You come to the conclusion yourself who these ones are. So they are struggling to know who they are in the midst of the, struggle, midst of the flesh. Since you're struggling with the flesh, who are these things I'm talking about? Who are they describing? For example, somebody said the guy with the black truck, black rams, mud tires. Might have a little mud on the side. I don't know. He might be watching. I didn't see it today. Who are you be thinking about? Mr. Jacob. Going with the red Jeep, flat tires on it, tinted windows. Who you think about? Think Brother Franklin. I don't have to say the person's name. I can describe these things. 
and you can come to the conclusion. Well, Paul is doing the same similar thing here. He is saying that the warrant over and over again to the Roman church for them to grab hold to the claim, who is he describing? He's describing these things that I have. So verse 27 used the word saints. Now he just used the word the ones, the ones, the ones, the ones he foreknew, the ones he predestined, the ones he called, the ones he justified, the ones he glorified. Who are all these ones referring to? You answer that yourself. Paul is talking about these believers, but he described them, he described all the blessings they get as believers. And for them to hold on to these claims of what they get in Jesus. So the first point we see is that God has proclaimed, God has renewed his believers. He has, he has renewed the ones that he has saved. The ones that he has set apart, the ones that he loved, these are the ones he's talking about here. In a general sense, does God love the entire world? In a general, yes. God created everything, right? God created all things for his glory. But God has some he set apart that he have a special love for. We see the difference here in Romans 11. Starting in verse 2. God has not rejected his people for people whom he foreknew. Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah? How he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left. And they seek my life. But what is God replied to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So, too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. What then? Israel failed to obtain what, is what, what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. What is that saying? It is saying that even in the Old Testament here, that everyone wasn't foreknew. Fort New is only for special people. This is a special privilege to have. For example, like those that bowed the knee to Baal is proof that they aren't for new, for known. There in Romans 11, 2 through 7. But those whom he foreknew were the ones that were killed for obeying the Lord. The prophets of old. The, the one that wasn't for new one that destroyed the things of God in the Old Testament. They left prophet Elijah nowhere to turn. Remember the story about Jezebel? How she persecuted the people of God? So this is what you let you know is that God has always has foreknown a group of people. He has always had a special love towards a group of people. And these group of people I have described to you are the saints. They're the ones that love God, the one that God has set apart for himself. The Dr. Lord Jones said this, the people to whom God purpose applies, the test tells us that it applies to the called, the called according to his purpose. The same people are also described in terms as foredone, predestined, uh, uh, justified, justi justified, and glorified. The principle that the purpose of God and salvation applies only to these people, not to any others. For those that are struggling in brokenness, this applies to you, that God has foreknew you. God has foreknew you. God knows exactly what what you're facing right now in your life. He knew what you're going to face in eternity past. God has always known you. So the question is, why is this so important to know right now? Why is Paul telling us this right now? That, that, that God has foreknown us. What, what, what does that do to a struggling believer that, that are doubting their faith, that, that are struggling with sin, that, that, that are that are nowhere to turn, 
that are hopeless? Why does he give us the word foreknown right now? Brings us point number two. God foreknew his love despite our brokenness. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The ones he foreknew, for those he foreknew, the saints he foreknew, Paul is encouraging all of them that he foreknew them. This word foreknew is pro-e-gno. In Greek, it derived from the word inosko, uh, which is mean to know. See, the, the prefix of part of this word is uh, pro e, which is like wish beforehand. So the basic, basic definition of this word foreknew is knowing beforehand. Knowing beforehand, which we know God knows everything. I think in the health well, I'm not a physician and everything. Do you ever get a, uh, a uh, what you call it, a pro, um, uh, a pro, No, I pro. It's gonna come to me in a second. Go and play for me. I pro prognosis. Prognosis. Sorry, I'm gonna stay with preaching, y'all. I'm not gonna go into the medical field. I pro A pro. Y'all got it right. Yeah. Okay. That's where that word come from, as well. So the word talks about knowing beforehand, which we know God knows all things and everything. But with that context of a wretched believer or, or a struggling, broken believer needed to be a reminder of assurance, what is God foreknowing is saying to us? Well, we have to see, we have seen this word known in other used in other places. In Romans. The word know, I guess. So not 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 foreknown, but the word know has been used in, in different other places in verse 26. And also verse 27 and verse 28, the word know. In verse 28, we know the ones loving God, everything works, happen for a good. But now we learn in verse 29 that God foreknew. Paul has some correlation with this word, as if he is using the same word and how it relates to us. At first in verse 26, we see the word know. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. So they use right here in negation that this is something that we don't know what to pray for. Verse 27. And he searches, and he who searches the hearts know what is the mind of the spirit. Use the word again in verse 27. No. Now that the spirit knows, this is not a negation. Now, he's encouraging the believer that doesn't know what to pray for, that is struggling with various things in their life. The spirit knows what to pray for, even though when you don't know what to pray for. But it said in verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, for those that are struggling and believers, that theology tells them that all things work together for good. That's what we do know. And not only that, in 29, he uses the word kind of plays off the word no. Now, he used the word for no. If you notice, the word for no comes before all the rest of them. Predestination, you would think, well, predestination should be first in Paul's list. Well, God predestined us before the foundation of the world. He chose us, then he foreknown us. You would think that, but you see how Paul can use this word gnosko, 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 now prognosko. Paul is sharing with us now is that he used no, 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 then he used now for no. He's relating his word. He is drawing them in with this word no. And after he gets to the word for no, he goes on in and explains everything that does with salvation. But God's foreknowing set the pattern for how we should view knowing ourselves. So let me say this again. Knowing does mean, it does mean 
that God put new, a new things beforehand. But now we're going to see the word know can be used in other ways as well. We're seeing it in other places, how the word know is used. And I'm explaining it here shortly, even in Genesis 4, chapter 1, how the word know is used. But let me say this right here, is that when you think about God for new, a lot of times in our society and a lot of other theologians have gotten this wrong. They have thought of that for new is that God already knew who was going to choose him, so he chose them. Some people have said that over the years that God knew who his people was going to be, so he chose them. He knew who was going to do the right thing, so he chose them in the eternity past. That God knew he already looked in the future what decisions they're going to make, then God chose them. That's not right, because we notice that in Romans 3.10, it tells us right here. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one ceases for God, seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Go down to verse 18 in Romans chapter 3. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Did it say some sin or all? All have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. And David talks about this like I was born in iniquity. So there is no good and, and everybody have sinned. How can God foresee the good if everybody is already inclined to do bad? Inclined to do bad. If by nature we're inclined to do bad because Adam and Eve sinned, how can God foresee the good in us? We cannot make ourselves good. If we can make ourselves good, why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus come from heaven and we can do it ourselves? If we can make ourselves good, why did Jesus come? We can't make ourselves good in ourselves. We can't do it. So it's not true to say that God foreknew that we were good. That's why he chose us. We talked about this also in Romans, I think, 5. Verse 8. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners. He loved us while we were sinners. He didn't love us because of the good we were doing. He loved us when we were broken. So this verse foreknowing is that not that God looked in the future and said, oh, this person going to do good, this person, gonna, I'm going to choose this person, I'm going to choose this person, I'm going to choose this person because the good they're going to do. That's not what this verse is saying. Another verse is that Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. Death spread to everyone because of Adam and Eve's sin. So everybody in this Roman church in the first century have inherited the sins of forefather Adam like all of us. So if that's not what foreknew is then, if God and foreknew and saw all the good things he's going to do in the, in the future, so what is the definition then? What is the definition I'm glad you asked. We get the idea of this foreknow for knowing in Genesis 4.1 about Adam and Eve. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Adam knew his wife isn't referring to him learning about something while observing Eve. This is not dealing with cognitive that, well, oh, wow, Adam got to put Eve here. Well, I know who Eve is. That's not what, the, that's not what it's saying in Genesis 4.1. Rather, this new and for one is that it was the intimate love of Adam and Eve. He knew her as when he was actually having relations with her. An intimate love to bring about Cain. So this knowing is an intimate knowing here in Genesis 4.1. And this knowing is, or new, is all over the New Testament in very different other verses. 
So new in a Bible at times, it referring to this intimate love for someone. One person says this, the word for knowledge, for knowledge or for new is not found in the Old Testament, but the word know occurs there frequently. When that term is used, connection with God, it often signifies to regard with favor. Denoting not mere cognition, but an affection for the object in view. It's not saying that, hey, I know who, who, who's over there. I know who's over here. It's a no, I have an intimate love for this person. I have an intimate affection for this person. So God for new, well, God has had a love for us from returning to past. God loves us better than Adam and Eve. Um, God loves us better than Adam had love for Eve. This is based on God's perfect nature, not foreseen works that some people would try to translate this and say that God sees. No, God loved us. He loved us in eternity past. He loved us before we was even born. Before we even came into the world, God has already had affection and a, uh, uh, and a very precise, consistent love towards us. And what did Jesus come into this world? Jesus came into the world to grab those that the Father foreknew the Father loved from eternity past. Genesis, John 17, Jesus said this in the priestly prayer. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes in heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have give, gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Verse 2, it said that in John 17, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Even Jesus' mission was to find those that the Father has had his love on and save them. Now, do we know who those are? Like, do we know in the world, our co-workers and everything? We don't know who all God has for new. So we preach the gospel to everybody. We share the gospel and share the word of God to everyone we see. But for those who he foreknew, he's going to give them a new heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. He's going to give them a heart of life. And they're going to respond to him. And that's why you all are here today. Many of you are here today because you are the one that God has foreknew from eternity past. And God has loved you despite your brokenness. It tells us also in John 17, verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were. And you gave them to me. Who are these people that Jesus came out of? Who is these people? They are you and they are me and the rest of the universal church. God has had an intimate love for those he has for new. Nothing can separate us from this love. And I say, believe it's here. You are part of this love. That God has had a love for you before you were born. This love doesn't push anyone away from the Lord. This love brings people closer to the Lord. This love points to how God has chosen you from the foundation of the world and God will keep you. If you are struggling today as a believer, our God loves you and nothing you can do it can separate from his love for you. Now it makes sense what Paul is getting at, doesn't it? But when Paul said that he foreknew his people, it makes sense now what he's getting at. You're struggling with sin, you're struggling with depression, you're struggling with anxiety, you're struggling with loneliness. This is for you that God loves you. He foreknew you. With an intimate love. The last point, point number three. The reason why God foreknew, foreknew his, uh, his love towards us despite our brokenness. Let me say it again. The, the reason why God foreknew us and loved us despite our brokenness. It tells it right here in the end of verse 29. 
For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. We have learned that God has foreknew us. He has adopted us, and God loves us. We also learned that foreknew deals with God's affectionate love, affectionate love for us from eternity past, that his love is not based on our works nor efforts, but based upon the works of his son, Jesus Christ. And last, we do and now dive into the reason why he foreknew us. What's the reason? The summary of the old matter, to conform to the image of his son. I remember when Zoe and Jacayla was getting married, and I remember I pulled him, you know, I had a meeting right before their wedding ceremony, and I read him from Romans 8. I said, the whole purpose of marriage is conformed to the image of his son. It's the whole purpose of marriage. Something about a spouse can bring out things in our heart that we can't bring out ourselves. A spouse know how to do something, right, that calls our flesh to roll up. And that's good, because if not, those things in our own heart, it get hidden. It stays there. But God, and within Jesus' heart, there's nothing hidden. There's nothing hidden in Jesus' heart. Jesus is, is the person that he said he is. He's the true son of God. He's a God that loves. He's a God that's holy. His God is perfect. It's nothing that is hidden in Jesus. Jesus' heart is for everyone to see that he is who he said he is. What about us? We're not who we say we are at times. We have things in us that we don't even know about ourselves. We have things in us that we don't know about others. That's why the Spirit prays things all for. The Spirit prays for the things that we don't even know. And those areas that we don't know about ourselves that are not conforming to Jesus, and the things that we do know about ourselves that are not conform to Jesus, Jesus' goal is to expose those things, to get rid of those things, and so your entire life can look like Jesus. He then set us on the path to be conformed to him or to his desires, his will, by doing it ourselves. He had to do it to conform us. God had to come down and do it. The word conformed means to be in similar form, some definition may say, in similar form, or we look in similar light, similar light. The image of his son. The image is a perfect representation of the object. When it's an image, it's a perfect representation of the object. We are to be conformed to the perfect representation of the father, son. Again, this is not saying we need to be, to have long hair, like Jesus, to have short hair, to have the same skin complexion of Jesus, to have the same eyebrows like Jesus. That's not what it's saying here. It's not talking about his physical attributes, but it's talking about his spiritual character. We're to conform to Jesus. We're made in the image after his likeness. It forms his moral character, the spiritual loan to honor the Father. This son described as. He might be the firstborn of many brothers. The firstborn son is the one that normally receives the blessings. It's the one with full honor. He's the one that the father is well pleased in in Matthew 3. Behold, we said, this is my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. This is the one the father is well pleased in. It's his son. But the father want to say, no, it's going to be many more that I'm going to be well pleased in. But Jesus is going to be the first one. He's the firstborn of many more brothers that come. It's going to look like Jesus. He came into the world to do his father's will and did just that. And our lives should look like Jesus and what he did in this world. He walked in holiness. He walked in truth. One person said this. He is the second Adam, the last Adam. He is the second man, but he is the last Adam. That means that he came into the world in order to start and to found a new humanity. 
He is the firstborn among many brothers, the beginning of a new race, a race that started in Adam, another race started in Christ. And the image to which you and I are to be made uh, conformable is the image of the last Adam. That is to say, this perfect full humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is joined to his eternal sonship in Godhead. But it's to this that you and I are to be made conformable. We are to receive, and we do receive, in the new birth, the seed of this new nature. We receive a part of this new humanity from him. When he said you were born again, you are born into one new man. One race, right? Well, I would say it's two races. A race of Adam, right? A race that has fallen, and a race now of Christ. A new race. We're part of this new race together. A unified body of believers. So Jesus wants us to look like him. Not physically, but mentally and spiritually. How in this world is going to see the difference. Even though Jesus is not walking on earth, we have conformed so much like Jesus, people can see that they are followers of Jesus. How you know somebody, you know, a follower somewhere, I mean a follower of Jesus, that look like Jesus. One of the things I do a lot of time with my little kids, they got this thing called, uh, on, on YouTube, when you're ready to put them to sleep, um, with the smaller kids. Um, I put a little, couple little cartoons on. One of the things called Follow Ducks. Follow Ducks. I can't sing the song. But these ducks go, and one duck right there, and one duck. At the end of the, at the end of the song, all the ducks come back. And all the ducks falling behind Mama Duck, right? They following after Mama Duck, resembling Mama Duck, looking like her. She wiggled her feathers, and the babies wiggled their feathers. Look like the mother dog. Well, in the same way as believers, as we read about Jesus, we learn about Jesus, we look like Jesus. And the world pull it to the side, like I read about something in scriptures, how someone was just so kind. You remind me of this person I read about in the scriptures. That person was Jesus. So the whole goal in God for knowing and loving us is for us to look like Jesus. And what would Jesus purpose in his world? His ultimate purpose in his world, we find it in John chapter 17, verse 1. Father, hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Jesus' whole goal, he did what the father asked him to do, is to glorify the father. Now Jesus is saying, for all of us in this room, you go do the same thing. Go glorify the Father with your life. And how do we get there? The first part of this, he's foreknowing us. By him loving us, letting us know that he has set us apart to conform us to the image of his son. Let me end with a couple of applications here. If you're struggling to see how in the world God will conform you to the image of his son. Well, first remember the hardest part of has already been done. God foreknew you before you came into this world. He already knew how messed up I was. He knew how messed up you were. He knew all those things about you. It don't matter what you try to do to try to fix up and try to hide and everything like Adam and Eve, right? When they sin, they try to hide behind fig leaves. God knew who they were. You can't hide from God. And despite God knowing who we were or who we are, he already had loved us and eternity passed. So for those that are struggling here, that are back and forth saying, wretched man that I am, wretched Greg that I am, wretched Leon, wretched Lena, wretched person that I am, this is for you. Wretched, wretched Jacob that I am, this is for you to remind that God has foreknew and loved you, that even though you see your time falling short, that God has foreknew and loved you, that you're going to conform to the image of the Son, that's part of that process. That God guaranteed that you will, you are loved, and that you will be like Jesus. 
Next thing too, don't forget the context of foreknown, foreknowledge now. When you ever you hear the word foreknowledge again, you grab hold to that word in an intimate way that God loves me. God loved me in a special way. That suicide is not the option. That depression, I don't have to sit in depression. I don't have to sit in these things. I am truly loved in a way that the world cannot give to me. I'm loved in a special way that would never turn me away. I'm loved in a way that, 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 that would secure me that secure me of my conformable, conforming to the image of his son. So for those that are struggling this morning, hold on to this word here. That God foreknew us. He knew who you were. What you experienced yesterday in the, in the last couple of days, what you experienced the last couple of years, the, uh, what you're experiencing right now in life, God knew all those things about you before all those things happened in your life. And God already had loved you already. He loves you in the midst of those things. So you're not alone. So coming, so come to Jesus. Those that are struggling, come to Jesus. He won't turn you away. His arms are wide open for you as believers. His arms are wide open. No matter what you're facing, he won't cast you out. But for those that are not believers, that are not trusting in Christ, trusting in themselves, Turn and repentance today to Christ. Turn to Jesus today. Put your faith in Christ. And as you put your faith in Christ, it revealed to the world that you are one of one that God foreknew. It revealed to the world, I don't know. I don't know who the people are. I share the gospel to everybody I see. If I go to Walmart, I want to share the gospel with everybody I see. But somebody that, that I'm going to share the gospel with, somebody you're going to share the gospel with, somebody going to respond and you're going to be able to say, you are the one that are loved by God. You are the one that God has set apart from returning your path. You are the one. So come here. Let me disciple you and pour into you. Let me pray for us.